Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fado. This podcast is for all the misfits in and out of spiritual community, for all the woods walkers and the tree talkers, all of us leaning into our vulnerability, not hiding mistakes and missteps, but fully embracing who we are. Hello and welcome. My name is Angie Fado. My pronouns are she, they. I am a spiritual director and meditative archery instructor in Portland, Oregon. I hope that if you're finding this um, podcast for the first time that you enjoy it and you stick around and introduce yourself at some point to me. Please like, share, subscribe, rate, review. Do what you do. I am on the unceded land of the Malala, the Kalapuya, Tualatin, Bands of Chinook, Clackamas, Kathlamet, Calitz, Wasco, Multnomah, and many other tribes who made their home along the Columbia River in the place that I call home, Portland, Oregon. I want to talk about something that is fresh for me today and pretty tender. I hope that I can do it justice for myself. Something came up and it struck me. I was getting my hair cut at my friend Melissa Trombetta's house. There's my dog walking by, checking out whether everything's okay. Anyway, and her little daughter Flora was downstairs talking to us. And Flora, I believe Flora is four. And she did not like my choice in a haircut because she's in a phase of life where she likes very long hair and dresses. And I was telling her, oh, I completely get it. I used to love long hair and dresses and told her that I used to be able to sit on my hair and she could not believe it. Her mom said, Angie was such a cute little kid. And then I told Flora, I'll, I'll, send your mom a picture so she can show you my long braids that I actually did used to have really long hair. And then Melissa said, you were so cute and you've always been so beautiful. I bet you just heard that all the time from people. And I looked her dead in the face and I said, no, no, I never heard it from anybody. And I am very aware as I tell you this story that there is a part of me that is saying, this is the story I tell myself. This may be true. I'm sure that some people told me that I was cute. I don't remember ever hearing it from my parents. Because to my parents, I don't think I was traditionally what they considered beautiful. I had red hair, freckles, tall, gangly, and I'm super fucking cute. The things that were communicated to me were not that I was cute, which I don't think, yes, every person wants to feel beautiful and attractive, and there's so much more to being a human than being attractive. Yet what we pick up kind of defines how we see ourselves as we grow up. And for me, I did not see myself as beautiful or attractive 
there were so many other things also that I felt like were against me. My dyslexia, I felt like I was stupid. And I felt like my parents communicated to me through their actions that that was true about me. They also communicated to me that my sensitivity, my what they would have considered over-compassion for other people was a weakness. I think now my dad would probably consider it an asset, but I don't know. So all of these things that they communicated to me were that I was not enough. I wasn't attractive enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't... Um, I think I don't I can't think of the opposite of compassion, but whatever it was, I didn't have it. I couldn't like I couldn't have what I would now call a boundary with people, but I don't think that that was it because my parents do not have boundaries. To be able to say no, to be able to walk by somebody in pain was very difficult for me. Still is. I mean, I it's hard for me to kill a bug. So those things that I consider, I don't consider not having a boundary an asset because that makes for a dangerous life for us as people. But I do consider people with compassion and empathy and people that are vulnerable in that powerful way that vulnerability is I believe that is an asset. Those are assets and strengths in our life. And I believe that about myself. Those are the things now that I like the most about myself. So she said that thing. I came home and there's a picture that I found recently that I hadn't seen in a really long time. And I can't remember like if it fell out of a book or it, but it's me with little braids. I'll, that'll be the picture that I use for this episode so that you can see the photo I'm talking about. So I'm looking at it right now, my cute little smile. For those of you that are aware of Little House on the Prairie, I loved Laura Ingalls Wilder, wanted to be her, but thought Mary was the beautiful one. Isn't that funny? Because now I'm like, no way, Laura was the beautiful one. Anyway, and I'm also looking at a picture of my, of me when I graduated, my graduation photos. And uh, I've had that picture, the one of me in, I believe I'm, how old am I? I'm eight years old. Um, I've had it in a book, so I'm looking at it pretty much every day. So I got my hair cut on Saturday, and I believe it was Monday morning, and Todd and I were talking before he went to school, because he's a teacher, I can't remember what brought it up. I was telling him about the conversation with Melissa and I was like, you were there, weren't you? When she asked me or or suggested that everybody must have thought that I was so cute and so beautiful as I've, got, as I've grown up. And I looked at him and I said, nobody ever said that to me. And I started to sob. There is something in that for me, this piece of this eight-year-old. And I'm not talking about the trauma that I had growing up that I've been very honest about on here with my grandparents. I'm talking about me 
as a normal child in the world trying to develop and become who I'm supposed to be. And at the core of who I am, I think I'm ugly. And I don't think that. I'm not saying I think that still. But when I talk to you and I'm doing the work that I'm doing in therapy and the books that I'm reading, what I'm trying to say is adult Angie looks at her child self and thinks she's beautiful and she's super cute. And I challenge you to not see that. (laughs) And... And a part of me that is an integral part, it's probably that eight-year-old girl who wanted her parents to see that in her. Not just to see the beauty, but see the intelligence. I don't have, you know, intelligence that is easily documented, I guess, in the stupid systems that schools follow and most of our society follows. The kids that don't fit into that either are bumped up to higher grades or special classes or are completely squashed. That was my story. I was squashed in there. And there were so many opportunities for my parents to go, you are smart, you are beautiful, you are compassionate, there are so many things you are that are more important than the grade you get in school or what your teachers think. And here's how you are smart. You did this. You put together this, you know, dollhouse or you built this thing or you solved this riddle or whatever it is. Those are the ways that you are intelligent. Your emotional intelligence, your way of caring for people that society has a really hard time seeing because they fucking can't quantify it or make money off of it is so valuable and so important for you and for other people and for the health of our communities. But my parents did not have that in them because they probably feel shitty about themselves. But thinking about that little girl and wanting that little girl to get what she needs even though I'm 51 is the thing I've been thinking about this week. How do I take that child who was just trying to survive, find joy, find life, find peace, play, How do I give that little girl what she needed? And as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, what was happening when I was eight? I think this, I think when I was eight, I was still um, living in Vancouver in an apartment. And there was a creek in front of our apartment. And I've been very honest about being raised in the church. So by church, I mean, I was raised evangelical, non-denominational, charismatic, more charismatic than evangelical. So you look, you look up what that means. 
Uh, but a little taste of who I was is our apartment, when we moved into this apartment complex, not even a year after we moved in, because my parents had bought land and were going to build a house, that never happened. I don't know what happened with the land, but my parents never had the money to build a house and never followed through without. So we ended up living in this apartment for way longer than my parents had planned. Not even a year after we moved in, this was the 70s people, so the apartment complex became adults only. So 70s. It's like you can see the hairy chested men and the gold chains. That's exactly what this apartment complex was like. It had a pool, had a tennis court, sounds fancy, was not. The Thunderbird Apartments. So as soon as we moved in there, there were a couple kids that were living there or came to visit their parents, um, like the dad or the mom that was living there because the parents had been divorced, but there were almost no kids anywhere, just me and my sister. I had gotten a powder puff pink bike with a banana seat. I loved that bike. I got it for my birthday, and not very long after I got it, it was stolen. I was so devastated because it was glorious. I think it had a pink flag because back then, off the back of your seat, there would be this long pole, skinny pole that would move. I think kids still do it, but not as often, and it would have a flag on the top. They should bring those back because it probably made kids a lot more visible when they were riding bikes. No helmets. Anyway, so I loved that bike. I did not get another bike for a while, but my next bike wasn't the same, wasn't as good because I really loved pink at the time, but I think it was called, um, oh man, what was it called? Uh, The Desert Duster or something like that. It was like green and yellow. And my neighbor's moving his garbage. Uh, So you're just going to have to deal with the background noise. But anyway, I eventually got another bike. My parents did not have very much money. So it took a long time to get that bike. Get Get another bike. But we lived in the Thunderbird Apartments. Right behind our house was a creek called Burnt Bridge Creek. And a little snippet of who I was... I went to that creek and tried to part it like Moses parting the Red Sea. I actually believed that I could part the waters of Burnt Bridge Creek. I was 100% convinced that I could do it. Did I do it? No. Did I try? Absolutely. (laughs) And I'm not ashamed of that. I think it's pretty awesome. I spent a lot of time with my sister playing in that creek, and for most for the most part, I think those memories are pretty positive. There was There's a story in there, too, where I think my sister and I were... I was probably like six or seven, and my sister and I were playing tennis. We weren't officially playing tennis, but we were on the tennis court, and this older kid came up and was bullying us, and he said something... Well, he was bullying my sister, who's three and a half years older than me. And he said something to her and I didn't know what it was, but I flipped him off. I did not know what the middle finger was. I'm sure I had seen it and I flipped him off. 
And I love this story so much because the it's these stories where you're like, my dad was not all bad. There was a lot of good in my dad. There's a lot of things he did that I would not and did not do as a parent and think were pretty traumatizing. And there's so many things in there that are also good. And that's the paradox. But this, my dad came out and I was so scared. I knew I had done something bad or I thought it was bad because I knew that finger was bad. And so I think I was hiding or something and my dad came out and this kid came right up to my dad and told him, your daughter is nasty or something. She, she stuck her middle finger up at me and my dad was like, what did you do? And I didn't get into trouble at all, which I shouldn't have gotten into trouble. I was trying to protect my older sister. But that gives you a little uh, a little snippet of who I was. I was had little braids, was trying to be Moses, and then I was trying to protect my older sister. But very soon, we moved to Richfield. So I'm not sure in the picture that I'm going to show you if I was living in Richfield at the time or we were still at the Thunderbird Apartments, but I think maybe it was right before we moved to Richfield or right around that time, which I was really excited. We had a house. It, my parents, it was in pretty rough shape, so my parents were remodeling it, and um, it was a time before my other siblings were born. So my sister was born when I was... I'm eight in this picture, and my sister Jessica, one of my best friends, was born when I was nine and a half. And that's when my life completely changed. And whatever whatever childhood I still had managed to hold on to with the trauma that I was experiencing at my grandparents was gone when my sister was born because I became an immediate adult. And frankly, I don't feel like I'm built that great for adulthood. (laughs) I think I'm very responsible, and that's what I mean. It's like I am made for joy and childhood and play and freedom. I think we're all made for that. But I am very good at being responsible. And I can tend to be over-responsible. And so I moved from a place of whatever childhood I was able to maintain with the trauma that I was experiencing to immediately losing my childhood. And I had a resentment to my sister and my brother, who I helped raise, for a long time. And it wasn't their fault. It was my parents' fault for making me responsible when I also had an older sister who could have been responsible but chose not to be. So I'm bringing all of this to you one, just to help me hold it, and to also think about who you are. What parts of you are still that child? Maybe for you it's not it's not eight years old. Maybe for you it's four or five or two. Maybe for you it's ten. Maybe for you it's different at different times. I have another picture of myself where I know I'm definitely living in Ridgefield. This is where we ended up in the country. And I believe I'm 10. So this is after my sister's been born. 
I have very long braids. I have really honed in that Laura Ingalls Wilder look. And that's a very important picture to me too. And I'm smiling, but you can tell there is a difference in the smile of the eight-year-old than the smile of the 10-year-old because I have already lost so much. So wherever you are, whatever age stands out for you when you sit in silence with that, here's what I want you to think about and consider doing. Whatever picture comes to mind for, the, for where you're at right now. Like I said, it may be different at different times. Whatever that image is of you, try to find a picture if you have one that you can hold as like an icon. You are the icon. And then I want you to think about that child. Maybe you had great parents. Maybe you had exceptional grandparents. Maybe you were loved and told you were beautiful and special and intelligent and awesome. And there might still be something that needs to be healed, mended, made peace with, loved, cared for, held. Because we're all existing in a world that is bent on, I'm not talking about nature, but a world that is very keen on our self-destruction, I think, for a lot of reasons. Now, that, that doesn't mean that the world is bad, but a lot of bad stuff happens to us in this world. So what I'm trying to do is I have my image in front of me, this little eight-year-old girl before her siblings are born who was told these things about herself that are not true and are very painful to think about. And I think, what would, let's say you, were, you and I were sitting together and you brought this picture and it's your four-year-old self. I said to you, if you could, what would you give this four-year-old you? How would you be with this four? year old you maybe you would say well I know she just wants to play laugh dress up or I know he wants to run around climb trees dress up <laughs> playhouse whatever um how can you be with that part of you? How can you truly be with that part of you? Giving that part of you the room and the acknowledgement that, one, they're integral to who you are. Two, they deserve love. They deserve to be told they're beautiful, they're intelligent, they're fun, they can be free, they can play. How can we do that? What I would suggest is that you find a picture or hold an image of yourself in your mind as your icon. And as you go through your day, think about what that part of you at that age, four years, six years, eight years, would want 
how they would want you to be with them, how they would want to be treated, how loving you can be towards them. Meditating on that icon, meditating on that part of yourself that sometimes gets ostracized and alienated instead of brought in, held, assured that they're safe, listened to. Because when I think of somebody telling my daughter or my son or communicating to them that they're ugly and they're stupid and their compassion is a liability, that makes me enraged. And I I can't promise that I would be kind or self-controlled if I found out that somebody had said that to them. Because I've worked very hard to communicate the opposite and I don't think anybody should be treated that way. Whatever the, whatever negative thing is being communicated. And we deserve that. You listening right now, that three-year-old self that's in there that was heard in some way or was rejected in some way or was... Or, or somehow interpreted they weren't worth whatever, deserves the same love that we would give to our closest friend, the same compassion, the same care, the same tenderness. And if you sit with that child for any length of time and you ask that child, you could do it in a journaling prompt if that's easier for you. You sit with that child and you say, What do you want and what do you need? What do you want and what do you need from me? And if I sit and do that with you right now, I just take a second to be with my eight-year-old self. What does she want and what does she need? And I hear freedom to play. Space to be right, wrong, messy, careless, to to make mistakes and not get the hammer from me and not get rejected by me. So take a little time to be with that part of you. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to do anything. I'm not telling you you should talk to them. I'm just saying, if you are with that part of you, using the icon either in your brain or in the form of a picture, how can you lean toward love? lean toward the love that you deserved and weren't given. That's what I want. I want us to lean toward love the same way we would offer that love to another person, the same way we would offer that love to our own children, our nieces and nephews, our nibblings, the people that we love the most in the world. 
we lean toward love of them. Letting them off the hook for the mistakes they made. Or the ways in which they do something that irritates us. We are often way more forgiving with other people than we are with ourselves. And I want us to be forgiving of ourselves, to to create space for that part of us to rest and be at peace and to feel safe. That's what I want for my eight-year-old self. That's what I want for yourself, whatever age you're working on. I want to lean into love. I want you to lean into love. I hope that you can try this. I think that it could be really beneficial for me. That's what I'm going to be doing and have sort of been doing in a way. I'm building up to it this week. Just just trying to create space and room to feel what I need to feel to honor what I need to honor to pay attention to what I need to pay attention to to look at the face of that eight-year-old me and let her have a little bit more room than she's had to be fully herself to be honored in the way that she deserves to be honored, to be paid attention to in the way that she deserves to be paid attention to. That's what I want for you. That's what I hope this prompt, this paying attention, this using yourself as an icon does for you. That it opens up space. That it gives you room to love all of yourself the way all of yourself deserves to be loved. The child, the adult, the teen, and everything in between. Take care of yourself while you do this. Stop if it doesn't feel good. Ask questions. Be tender. Be gentle. Remember who you are. Because you are worth knowing You are worth loving. You are worth being in this world. If you want to talk about it, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how it goes, if anything came up, um, if anything opened up something for you that maybe hadn't been opened in a really long time. I'd love to hear about it. If that doesn't feel comfortable or good to you, that's okay. Find somebody that is safe for you, that will not disregard or diminish what you're saying but can hold space with you to listen and celebrate with you what you discover because this is powerful and significant and that's what I want for you take care everybody talk to you soon love you